Well, a huge thanks to our children's ministry and volunteers for going above and beyond this year for this year's virtual VBS. And I just wanted to encourage us this morning as we start today's message that we continue to pray for our children. We continue to lift them before God and that uh, we find a way to encourage them as they have encouraged us. I also want to encourage you to pray for the Homewood student ministry this week. Uh, Our students are participating in Serve Week, so they'll be going around to various locations all across town and and serving this week, and so keep them in prayer. Uh, Between our children's ministry and student ministry, uh, we have 191 young people, and uh, we we praise God for that, and we want to continue to uh, lift them up. And if you are one of those young people that is listening to my voice, I want, I want you to know that you matter. You matter to the kingdom of God. And Paul would tell a young Timothy, don't let anyone look down upon you because you are young, but set an example to the believers in speech, life, love, faith, and purity. And so thank you for setting an example and continue to be encouraged uh, as we journey forward here. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to be opening to Galatians chapter 5, or if uh, you have your device with you, be turning there. We're going to continue our series, Walking Through Paul's Letter to the Galatians. And as you're turning there, I want us to just imagine for a moment what it might have been like in Galatia had they had social media during the time that Paul was writing this letter and the things that were going on in Galatia. So some of these are adapted from a guy named Gary Stanley, uh, but just imagine this with me. So you're looking on social media there in Galatia in in the the first century, and what you see is this first post, and it says this, the only good Gentile is a circumcised one. Next post, Abraham was a Gentile, post by a Judaizer. Yeah, but he was circumcised. Next post, Gentiles stink. Next post, are you saying circumcised Judaizers are a cut above the rest? Next post, I see what you did there. Uh, Gentiles still stink. Judaizer, long live the law. Post by a follower of Paul. Grace isn't cheap, but it's free. Post by a Judaizer, nothing is free. Next post, free me. Next post, free tacos would be amazing. Last post, what else could we argue about? We've witnessed this conflict that is taking place in Galatia between those that are claiming to follow God. And Paul has spilled a good bit of ink trying to address uh, this conflict. Is it Jesus or is it Jesus plus? And now Paul turns his attention to another conflict. And this is a conflict that is not an external conflict. It, It manifests itself externally, but it really begins internally. This is an inner conflict that Paul is going to talk about today, a conflict of the soul, which really typically is the root of the conflicts in the church. So let's uh, look at Galatians chapter 5. I want to remind ourselves where we left off last week, starting in verse 13, where Paul says this. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Scholar Scott McKnight says that the problem of the Galatians is typically human. 
that egos enter into the debates between people. And before long, the issue is who is going to win? It becomes who is right rather than even what is right. So now we'll see Paul address this conflict or this battle within. Uh, we, we often recognize or we see the external conflicts that happen. I mean, it doesn't take you long. I mean, just, again, jump back on social media or, or just turn on uh, the television. You'll see external conflicts going on all around you. But are we aware of the inner conflict that happens every day? Verse 16, Paul addresses this. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They, here it is, they are in conflict with each other. So that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So what does Paul do in the first four chapters, what we've been walking through for several weeks now, is that he is focusing on a life and what it looks like in and through Christ. And now in chapters five and six, what's Paul doing? He's beginning to see and focus on a life that's led by the Spirit, a life that's in the Spirit. So there's an important thing that we need to get. So there's, there's two natures in, in every Christian, two natures that are at work, uh, the spirit and the flesh or the sinful nature. So Paul says that these two are in conflict with one another, that they are battling and warring against one another. What's the conflict? Well, the, the conflict is between the desires between the two. So each conflict has different, much different desires. And what's the big deal about this conflict? Well, it's the conflict that moves us either toward or keeps us from getting closer to God's will. Over the past 10 years of ministry, probably one of the most frequent statements or questions that I've heard over the years is, what's God's will? You know, what's, what's God's will for my life? You know, what am I, what am I supposed to do? Uh, this is particularly uh, as we navigate the different seasons of life, we, we tend to ask this question. And so one of the, the reasons that we need to pay attention to this conflict is because one of these conflicts is, is trying to move us further away from God's will. And the other conflict is trying to move us closer toward the will of God. And so Romans 7, 22 and 23, Paul says this, that in my inner being, I delight in God's law. Yet he finds and says that there is another law at work in me. And what's it doing? It's waging war against the law of my mind. And so Paul has been contending that a life of faith in Jesus and in the spirit is characterized by what? It's characterized by freedom. Freedom from the law, freedom from its curse. And he's now applying the idea of freedom to this, this inner battle, this inner conflict that we experience, the fighting of the flesh. Uh, that Greek word for the word flesh there is, is sarks. We are fighting the, the sarks 
this sinful nature. And Paul's going to tell the Galatian church what the nature of the sarks includes. That this earthly nature, apart from divine influence, is going to include some of these things. So verse 19, the acts of the flesh, Paul says, are obvious. Okay, well, what are they? Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. In case I left anything out, Paul says, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, here's what I want us to notice with a few of these. That some of these are, yes, actions, but some of these are attitudes. So think with me. Have you ever considered how your attitude can be in conflict with the very Spirit of God? There's three words in verse 19 having to do with the works of the flesh in the area of sexuality. Paul says sexual immorality, which is that word pornania. It's where we get the word pornography. He says impurity and debauchery, which is uncontrolled sexuality. And then there's, there's two words in this verse, in verse 20, having to do with the area of religion. Idolatry, which is providing an inadequate substitute for God. So he says idolatry, and then he also says witchcraft, which is not a word that we probably use very much in our culture or society anymore. It's actually the word pharmakeia. It's where we get the word pharmacy. So I joked with my wife this week. I, I said, hey, honey, who is a pharmacist? I said, hey, honey, did you know you're practicing witchcraft this week? Which she did not find very funny. And so I no longer find that very funny. And I would encourage you not to find that funny either. But witchcraft is, is really the faking of the work of the Spirit. Probably not altogether unfamiliar to what Simon the sorcerer was, was trying to grasp in Acts chapter 8. He was trying to purchase the Holy Spirit. And it's this fake work of the Spirit. Then we see eight words that describe how the flesh destroys relationships. Four of these are attitudes. Remember we talked about attitude a few moments ago. Think about these attitudes, selfish ambition, jealousy, envy, hatred. And the other four are a result of these attitudes, particularly when it comes to our relationships. I want you to think about how these things destroy relationships. They move us further away from the will of God instead of bringing us closer to the will of God. Discord, divisions between people. Again, you hear those relational terms in there. Here's the one that gets me. Outburst of anger. How many relationships have been damaged because of outburst of anger. Lastly, we see there's two words referring to substance abuse. It's actually believed that drunkenness and orgies are actually linked, which sounds kind of odd, but it just means that orgies is a reference to drinking orgies rather than sexual ones. 
And so point being is that one of the works of the flesh is addiction. Being addicted to pleasure-creating substances and behavior. And I just want to pause for a moment if you're listening to my voice. And if you are wrestling with an addiction this morning, I want you to know that there's help available. I want you to know that there is a way forward. And as we continue to, to, to navigate these different acts of the flesh, I, I don't, the last thing I want to do this morning is try to oversimplify the sinful nature and, and to offer these unhelpful platitudes in response. What Paul says is that those that live in the sinful nature, those that live in the sarks, will not inherit the kingdom of God. I want to pause right here because I tend to agree with author Tim Keller who says Paul is not looking to undermine Christian assurance here, but he is aiming to banish complacency. Did you hear the difference between the two? Sometimes we we read this list and we think, well, if I've I've ever experienced one of these or been a part of, of one of these, then and I will not inherit the kingdom of God. I, you know, my, my, I'm law. You know, I think what, what Paul is trying to do here is, is to banish complacency, not undermine Christian assurance. We tend to be much better at noticing the works of someone else's sinful nature than we are in battling our own, right? We, we tend to do a pretty good job of seeing other people's sinful nature. But what do we acknowledge when it comes to our own battles within? Is it possible that the Galatians experience was not altogether too different than ours, your experience and mine? That people had begun to devour one another in their desire for power and control. And we can infer that the Galatian church was suffering deeply because of this inner war, this inner conflict that's going on inside us as human beings. And so then enters Paul. Paul, who was Saul. Paul, who had experienced, he said, of, of the sinners in all the world, I'm the worst. That Paul enters into the equation. And what say you, Paul? What would you offer to this conversation? Here's what Paul says. So I say, walk in the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. Well, what does that mean, preacher? That sounds preachy, but what does that look like? Won't the Spirit cause me to do weird and goofy things? For Paul, the Spirit was that which enabled God-honorary things, not weird and goofy things. The Spirit fueled development of Christ-like character, bringing us more in step with who we were designed to be. So Paul talks about the acts or the actions of the flesh, but then he talks about what? The fruit of the Spirit. Do you see the difference? Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, 
joy, peace, patience, or forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. I want us to, to stop right there and consider this. A lot of times we'll read this verse by itself, and it's certainly a worthy verse to read by itself, but we have to remember, again, this is a part of a bigger letter that Paul is writing. And so we, we reflect on the things that he has said up until this point. A life in Christ, now a life in the Spirit, and what that looks like and what that means for the believer. And so, yes, this is a, a great children's song that I've sung many times, but it's deeper than that. And as we mature in faith, we begin to realize the deepness that Paul is communicating through the actual fruit of the Holy Spirit. Verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Two of our ministers, Justin and Chris, have walked us through the fruit of the Spirit on Wednesday nights these past few weeks. And one of the metaphors that Chris used was that of a garden. That this word fruit, it tells us something about how the Spirit works. For, for one, that our growth as followers of Jesus is often gradual. That just as fruit or vegetation takes time to grow, so do we. So how are you and I creating an environment in which we can grow? That growth is not just gradual, it's also inevitable. That a seed planted in the ground is, is, is designed to grow. I love how Richard Foster, known for his book, Celebration of Discipline, says this. He says, to pray is to change. <clears throat> that is a great grace. How good of God to provide a path whereby our lives can be taken over by love and joy and peace and patience, kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. How great a grace that is. And as we, as we pray, as we enter into God's presence, that change occurs. So I just want to run through real quickly these, these definitions. I'm not trying to go, go all, all Greek on you this morning, but I want you to see these, these words because these words have meaning. And, and here's some of those. I just want you to listen to these. I want you to listen. Not just sing the song in your head, but also listen to the definitions of these words that Paul uses, agape love, to serve a person for their intrinsic value, not for what the person brings you. Kara, joy, a delight in God for the sheer beauty and worth of who he is. Irene, peace, a confidence in the wisdom and control of God rather than in your own. Paul most often uses peace to designate reconciliation and unity. Macrothumia, patience, an ability to face trouble without blowing up. Christotes, kindness, to serve others practically in a way which makes me vulnerable. 
I heard someone say this week that we should throw kindness like confetti. I just want you to put that visual in your mind of confetti going everywhere. And we throw kindness, not because of our our own strength or ability, but because of the fruit being born inside of us, the fruit of God's spirit, we throw kindness to others. I was in the grocery store this past week. Usually I will we'll, we'll kind of map out what we need so we, we're not trying to make unnecessary trips to the grocery store. But in this particular instance, I needed one thing. So I go in with my mask, I get one thing. And I come to the grocery store, you know, line, the checkout line. And uh, one of the things that can be a little more frustrating is that the lines are longer. They're not necessarily longer. They just appear longer because people have to be six feet apart. And so it looks like the line is like incredibly out the door. But it's really the same amount of people usually that are usually there. So I get up and and I'm kind of mapping out how we do. Okay, which, which one of these lines has the least amount of items? And I pick my line and I get behind this guy that has a huge cart full of groceries. And so he says, uh, hey, why don't, you, why don't you come on past me? Because he noticed I only had one thing. I said, I, I said that's really, really nice. I, I appreciate it. That was really nice. I really appreciate it. You know, with my and then the next guy in front of him only had two items. And so he says to me, hey, why don't you come on in front of me too? And I'm thinking, I'm, I'm looking for the cameras. Because this doesn't happen in grocery stores. Like people are w- wanting to get in and get out, right? And so I'm looking around to see, okay, what's, what's going on here? And I said, man, you, you guys are, are really, really kind. I appreciate that. And, and so I, I go in front of the guy with two items. And I just, I just kind of turned around. And I said, hey, God bless you guys. Thank you. It wasn't three seconds later, a clerk pops out of nowhere <laughs> and comes up to the guy behind me with the two items and says, hey, sir, I'm opening up my line, and I want you to come over here to my line. And so she takes those two guys who showed me kindness and let me in front of them, and she brings them to a new line. And because the person in front of me had a problem with something in their cart, those two guys actually went through before I did. But I just experienced this, this throwing of kindness, this confetti of kindness. And so I looked not with, oh, man, those guys got ahead of me. I looked with them, and I was, I was smiling through the mask. I was like, yes. But what if you don't get special treatment for being kind? Does that negate the fruit of kindness inside of us? Would you be kind even if you knew there wasn't something on the other end? Agatha soon, goodness. It's just integrity, being the same person in every situation. Pistis, faithfulness, to be utterly reliable and true to your word. Proutus, gentleness, is a, a blend of reserve and strength. This is not some just weakness mentality. This is not just some, some weak meekness. That word gentleness actually means reserve and strength at the same time. Do you know how much strength it takes to be gentle? Parents, do you know this? Neighbors, do you know this? If you are a human being listening to my voice, do you know this? How much strength that it actually takes to be gentle? The opposite of being superior or self 
absorbed. And then ingratia, self-control. The ability to pursue the important over the urgent rather than to be always impulsive or uncontrolled. So the question of the day as we wrap up is this, is how? How do we live this on a daily basis? How do we live this in our lives? How can the fruit of God's Spirit take root and grow? Paul tells us three things that will absolutely inform and I believe transform your week this week. The first one is this, is that we need to remember that we belong to Christ. Paul says in verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus, that our approval and welcome from the Father rests not on our character or actions, but on his. When I was in youth ministry, I remember before every trip, I would tell the students, hey, remember who you are and remember whose you are. Those two things, as you go in and out of places, as you're interacting with other people, remember who you are. Paul says those who belong to Christ. And because we belong to Christ, the second thing is that we need to conform to Christ. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And because Christ has been crucified, those whose identity is in him have also been crucified in him. Now, this is a little different than what Paul was saying in chapter 2. Paul says in chapter 2, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. But this crucifixion is done by us, not to us. Scholar David De Silva says that Paul calls for a decisive break with the values, thinking, behaviors, and domination systems of this age, all held together as the cosmos to which the believer is crucified and which is crucified to the believer. That to crucify the sinful nature, to crucify the sarks, is to say, Lord, my heart thinks that I must have this thing, otherwise I have no value. But to think and to feel and live like this is to forget what I mean to you, God, how you see me in Christ. And lastly, we need to be reminded that we possess the Spirit. Not only is our identity changed when we entered the waters of baptism, but we also now have power to live every day by the Spirit. Make no mistake that the Christian life is not just some tug of war where we experience perpetual defeat and minimal growth. No, when we belong to Jesus, as we sang a few moments ago, we have the Holy Spirit. The very Spirit that brought Jesus back to life. And he's still in the resurrection business today. And so as Paul encouraged the Galatians, may you and I be persuaded to return to the full, complete gospel that he had given them instead of embracing the false message of selfie. Verse 26, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Rather, let us keep in step with the Spirit. As we partake of the bread and the cup this morning, I want to remind us that communion is not just a memorial. It's a divine act. 
May we be reminded that we are doing so alongside brothers and sisters all across this planet. From Rwanda and Tanzania, Africa, to where we have supports all across this nation and, and beyond, that brothers and sisters are joining in this meal. This is communal, not individualistic. So yes, we examine ourselves, but we keep in mind the community in which we belong to because of Jesus. May we be reminded that new creation, the future of creation as new heaven and new earth has already arrived in the resurrection of Jesus. And at the table we eat with the living Christ. And lastly, may we be reminded that the Lord's table is an experience of grace and assurance. That as we eat and as we drink in faith, we receive the bread and the cup as God's assurance that Christ is given to us. As Jesus said, the body is given for you. The blood is poured out for you. Let's pray this morning as we prepare to partake of the bread and the cup. And so, Father, we give you this moment. Father, we give you this time. We thank you for the bread and the cup. We thank you for this reminder that it's much more than just a memorial. It's a divine participation. So, Father, we are reminded of the, the way that Jesus instituted this, this meal gathered around his disciples saying to do this in remembrance of me proclaiming his death until he comes and comes again so father as we find ourselves in that already and not yet state may we may we embrace this meal and be reminded of the indwelling spirit that connects us all wherever we may be as Paul would tell the Colossian church, that I may be absent in body, but I'm present in the spirit. So may we be reminded the gift that we have to be present with one another in this meal, even though that we are not physically in the same room. Fathers, we take this bread and drink this cup. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray.